Hey, this is Fairly Spiritual. I'm Doug Birch. Well, it's not my goal to offend everyone I know, but by the time this show is done, that might just have happened. The church growth movement has failed the church. It's time for it to die. For something better to rise up in its place, or maybe for something that's always been happening to be fostered, encouraged, and nurtured. We're going to talk about the problem with the church growth assessment culture and talk about a better way to move forward on The Fairly Spiritual Show. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. dreams with you well thanks for listening and before you uh well just put your boxing gloves down for a second i started out with something provocative saying the church growth movement has failed and if there are any experts out there uh let me put some qualifiers in uh first uh today's show is going to be about some of the fundamental flaws with the church growth movement assessment culture that has pretty much taken over the leadership of the Christian church in America in many quarters of uh, the church. Now, I'm going to make some sweeping statements, some sweeping generalizations, and a lot of them are going to be over-exaggerations. And one of the reasons I'm going to do that is because sometimes I exaggerate. Uh, But another reason is uh, I'm going to try to swing the pendulum a little bit in the other direction, Uh, just to overstate things even, because so much of our emphasis in our culture is geared towards or has been geared towards giving the platform of leadership to the church growth experts. And yeah, again, you say, who are these people you talk about? Well, again, it's a trend. It's a way of looking at the church. It's a way of structuring our Christian economy. There's a whole Christian economy that is built upon church growth experts, leaders, conferences. There is, you know, I don't know if it's a million dollar industry, but this huge industry built upon helping the church grow. There are leaders that I could name off who go to conferences, who run conferences, who we see their articles in major magazines. Uh, they're just, we, we just take it for granted that the goal is to continually be conferenced, to be educated, uh, to be taught uh, what's wrong with the church, uh, what problems need to be fixed, and how these church growth assessment um, principles can lead the church to the prosperity that God desires. And when I say prosperity, I mean growth and church planting and, and whatever uh, analytics have been looked at in order to make the church healthy dependent upon uh, how church growth experts have defined it. Now, uh, for me, there's lots of good material out there. I've read books on church growth. I've read uh, books and and 
gone to conferences. I don't go to many conferences because I can't afford them uh, beyond my own denominations conferences. But even in my own denominations, I've heard the best speakers. I've been even trained by speakers who have great intentions, have great purposes, uh, have great stuff to say. And, I, and I'm not saying that people have bad intentions, that they're not in it for the money, they're not in it for the power. But there's a reality that once you have power, that once you have influence, that once you sell books, that you don't want to give that up. That once you actually uh, become the expert, it's pretty hard to say, hey, maybe this thing isn't working. And one of the things that I've seen is uh, it's similar to this. Now, for most of us, I don't know the last time you went into a Bible bookstore. Some of you are like, what's a Bible bookstore? Well, in the old days, there's a place called the Bible bookstore. Some of you say, I go there all the time. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but in other areas, uh, well, I'm making fun of you a little bit, but in, in in the old days, there was a place called the Bible bookstore. That's where you got your Christian tapes uh, when the latest DC Talk uh, <laughs> album came out. By the way, I think uh, the lead singer of DC Talk might be immortal. I, he just hasn't aged. I don't, I don't know what's happening with Toby Mac, but I just he used to be older than me. Now he's younger than me. That'll be another show. But you'd go into the Bible bookstore, and this is what I find. You know, individually, all the stuff in the Bible bookstore, the different books. There's nothing wrong individually with those books. Certainly some of the books should go, I don't agree with this, and, and I don't appreciate the, the candy made in the form of a cross. And But individually, there's a lot of good motivation. There's a lot of wanting to serve God. You know, I got my own book. You've got things you've written, authors you like, books you like, music you like. But something would happen when you would walk into that Christian bookstore where you saw everything in its entirety, and over time it became even more so as as Christians got better at promoting things, or as capitalism began to work its way more into the economy of the church, as you walked into that store, you didn't think about Christ. The first thing you thought about was the almighty dollar. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just walk in, and you just kind of feel like, ugh, as you saw this big stand with a bunch of books of the latest author and all these 20% off this and 30% off this, and it just kind of felt yucky. Even if you liked a lot of the stuff in the store, you just kind of felt bad about the vibe. In its entirety, it sort of felt like maybe it had lost its focus, that the focus was less about the kingdom of God and more about money. I'm not exaggerating that, right? You, you've gotten that feeling. We've all done that. We've gone to a conference, right? We like the conference, and you you begin to walk through the halls of the conference, and and they have a booth there where people are selling stuff. And, and I'm not against people selling stuff. I've had a booth where I sell my book. During this show, I will talk about, hey, could you buy my book? That would help me out. Now, now because I hardly make anything off my book, I mean, literally hardly anything at all, then I can say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And but the reality is it doesn't matter whether you're making a little or a lot. This When you put all those booths together and some people are doing things for missions and you're like, hey, that's good. That makes sense. And others are doing tie-dyed shirts that maybe a percentage goes to some sort of worthy thing. And you're kind of like, well, I, I guess. And then there's someone else selling Christian insurance and you're like, okay, well, I guess Christians need insurance. And and then you go to the next booth and you're like, I have no idea why this guy's here. And just in its entirety, you just don't feel that good. 
You just kind of feel like maybe I should take a whip out and turn over all these tables. But you know that isn't right because, again, your friend is also at a table and you like what they're doing, but you just don't know how to manage this. Well, I believe something has happened when it comes to church growth culture that's like that. Maybe individually, there's a lot of good stuff. But collectively, something's wrong. Collectively, something has gone terribly wrong. I'm going to say that because I really think we have to look at the problem in the church right now. I know I don't like it where people spend hours and hours talking about what's wrong with the church. And you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I try to talk about what God is doing, how we're moving forward. I don't want to be a negative show. But there are some trends in America that are pretty clear. And one of the trends in America is the church in America is declining. And why I bring that up is there's been two trends, at least to this show, that are important, today's specific show is the church in America is declining at the same rate or inversely to the rate as the church growth industry has boomed in America. So there have been more and more books, more and more conferences, more and more experts telling us how to grow the church, what to do to be a healthy church. And at the same time, we've had more resources, more books, more conferences, more people talking about this is how you grow the church. The church in America has in fact declined. Now, have those church growth experts caused the decline of the church? No, I don't think they've caused the decline of the church. But we have to say this. Is it helping? Is it working? Now, here's the thing. Uh, The more the church declines, the more there is an audience for people who want to know how to grow the church. So here's the twisted reality of it. Uh, the, The more the church declines... The more people will want, I need, I need to find a way to grow my church. I need to find a way to be healthy. And so the more opportunity there is for people saying, I need an expert to show me how to grow my church. So the reality is, the, as the problem gets greater, there will be more experts. There will be more books. There will be more conferences. But it doesn't mean the problem will get better. In fact, uh, as the problem gets bigger, we will have more solutions for the problem. Does that make sense? Not actual solutions to solve the problem, but more people saying they have the solution. If you just did what we do, uh, then uh, everything would be great. Uh, Here's a similar example of that. Uh, Americans are getting fatter. Across the board, America is getting fatter. And uh, I'm saying this not as a judgment. I I struggle with my weight. It's a constant struggle right now. I'm trying to get my weight down again. It's an issue for me. And there's no judgment there if you struggle with your weight. I'm just giving a principle that in America, we are getting fatter. Around the world, the world population is getting fatter. Now, you can see uh, charts for this as well. Uh, Americans are getting fatter. That line is just kind of going up. You just look at the weight. It's just kind of going up. Just, Just imagine right now, this is the wonder of audio. Imagine that line just going up, 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 and up. Okay, there's another line that has been going up along with Americans getting fatter. You know what other line has gone up? Um, The whole exercise, weight loss, healthy eating craze has gone up at the same level. So uh, gyms to work out at, exercise equipment, diet books, our information, experts about weight loss, um, the ability to have a gym where you can work out, all, all those things, all the things that should help us with our weight those things have increased at the same level that we've increased in our girth. 
So if you go back to the 1950s when there was very little knowledge of any of this, people were skinnier. We're heavier now, and we have more knowledge than ever before. Now, what's going on? Is our knowledge, is our, is our attempt to lose weight causing us to get fatter? Is our exercise causing us to get fatter? No, please don't, please don't say that. I'm not saying don't work out. I'm not saying don't get educated uh, with what you eat. That's not what I'm saying. But what you see, even you'll see this uh, probably at the beginning of the year, people will say, you know why people are getting fatter is we're just not exercising enough. That's the big thing. People need to exercise more, right? In fact, that's mostly what we talk about. Exercise more and eat right. And eat right is, you know, you're eating wrong, you eat too much, you need to eat better. We put all the issues on people, right? If people were just more self-controlled, if they just eat, ate better, then they do better. And so we put it all on the people, but the people are getting heavier. So either... Everybody is just less disciplined now than they were in the 50s, or something has changed in our culture, but we have all these books saying, you just need to eat better. You just need to, need to be more disciplined in your eating. You just need to exercise more. Uh, if you exercise more and you ate better, then you wouldn't get fat. But those books have increased, and that knowledge has increased, and yet people are increasing in their weight. So what's happening? Well, there's a few experts out there. And again, you can't get rid of the experts, but others who are saying there's something else happening in our culture that isn't being talked about as much. And that's the fact of how we fortify our foods. What has radically changed from the 50s to now is the amount of uh, bad sugars that we have in our foods, that we fortify our foods and we put in all of our food uh, the kinds of sugars and empty carbs that we didn't do in the, in the kind of diets that people ate in the 50s. And so what's happening is we are making food now that's killing us. And you can exercise all you want, but exercising you know, twice as much as your grandpa did or your great-grandpa did is not going to overcome the way we fortify our foods. It's not. You can go out and run every day, but the kind of food we eat, just the basic food we eat, is killing us. And that's why Americans aren't just getting fatter, but all around the world people are getting heavier because our food all around the world by companies who make food, and the fact that even it's about companies making food versus just growing food, uh, that food is becoming fortified in such a way that our bodies don't process that sugar in the same way and we store it as fat. So you can have all these experts saying, hey, you just need to work out more. If you just worked out more, if you just you know, watch what you ate and you were more disciplined, you're going to lose weight. The reality is you're not going to lose weight. That's a false narrative. This is what I believe is happening in the church. There's a lot of narratives out there about what we're supposed to do, but I don't know if they're the right narratives. There's a lot of false narratives or there's assumptions like if the church did this, it would just grow. If the church did that, it would grow. But I don't know if they're the right narratives. I'm going to go through a lot of things here, and uh, some people might disagree with me on this, and you can. It's okay for you to disagree, but I want to challenge some things, and today's podcast is specifically uh, to some churches out there that uh, I would put in the category of normal-sized churches. The church growth movement has emphasized the exception to the rule over the rule. Uh, the reality is, uh, statistics show like 90% of the churches or 95% of churches are 200 people or less. So 
the majority of churches have 200 people or less, and the reality is that is even a high number because 90% or 95% of churches have 200 or less, but your average-sized church actually might have 50, 60, 70 people. So the megachurch is an exception to the rule. The megachurches aren't reality. And yet megachurches are what are being platformed in the church growth movement. Megachurches are a modern phenomenon in many ways. Uh, they're, they're just an exception to the rule of existence. They're not wrong, but they're not necessarily the right way to look at how God will advance the kingdom of God in these last days. I would look at it this way. If I, uh, let's say, decided I wanted to become a pumpkin farmer, yes, I've decided to become a pumpkin farmer. I don't know, just decided. What the hey, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I went to someone and I said, uh, would you show me how to grow a pumpkin? Uh, what advice should I take? Well, I probably want to learn how to grow just a normal-sized pumpkin, right? So I would probably go to a farmer who grows normal-sized pumpkins. I would not go to the county fair. Now, those of you who've gone to the county fair, you'll understand this. Those who haven't, just think about some television show or movie you might have seen. But uh, if you've ever gone to a county fair, there's this food pavilion or there's the Grange Hall or something where you go there and people try to grow giant fruit. And uh, there's a county fair nearby us, and I love going to it. The Western Washington Fair it used to be called the Puyallup Fair. I still call it the Puyallup Fair. And, and anyway, there's this place where they'll have, you know, giant pumpkins. And the giant pumpkins, that's the showstopper because the pumpkins are the biggest, right? And um, the goal is who can grow the largest pumpkin, the most giant pumpkin. And I will always go to see this year's pumpkin, who grew the giant, you know, the giant pumpkin. And it's amazing. You see that giant pumpkin? I mean, that thing can be like a thousand pounds. They bring it in in a forklift. It's amazing to see that giant pumpkin. Now, if I'm going to be a pumpkin farmer, grow pumpkins, should I go to the guys who grow the giant pumpkin and get advice from them on how to grow pumpkins? Or should I just go to the guy who makes normal pumpkins? In fact, if I came to someone and said, hey, what does a pumpkin look like? Should I point to the giant fair pumpkin or just to a normal field where pumpkins are? You say, Doug, I didn't think we'd talk this much about pumpkins, but get that visualization for a second. Look at a field full of giant pumpkins and how ridiculous that would be. Just a field full of these giant, huge mega pumpkins. You, that, that would just be absurd. Now think of any field you've seen of normal-sized pumpkins or any fruit, just normal-sized fruit. In fact, it would be wrong if somebody just started out growing any fruit or any vegetable, that I told them to make this exception to the rule and said, this exception is what you should strive for. In fact, uh, I was at the fair once and they were selling seeds from these giant pumpkins and they were saying, hey, you know, if you want to grow one of these, here's some seeds. And so I bought these seeds and guess what? I planted them and they didn't become giant pumpkins because it's more than just the seed. You got to do all kinds of things that I wasn't able to do and it just did not turn into anything. What we have right now in our church growth culture is we are platforming pastors of giant pumpkin churches. Denominations are doing this. Uh, church growth cultures are doing this. And, and we're saying, here, this is what the church should be. You can do what I do. And, and there's pastors at these churches. Uh, they'll say, hey, you can do church. You know the way we do our church? We do our church like a team. You know the way we do our church is we re release and empower leaders. And, 
And then we go and we listen and we take notes from these wonderful pastors, and they're great pastors. They're not bad pastors. They're not bad people. They're not doing bad things, but they are giant pumpkin pastors. And then a bunch of just normal-sized pumpkin churches are looking at this fair pumpkin and trying to make their churches be something they were never meant to be. Never. Our churches that are starting out are trying to do something they were never meant to be. And in light of that expression, they're also being judged. These pastors will often say, you know, they, oh, they're not judging anyone. They're saying, you know, it's not about me. It's just about the system. Here's the problem with that. They go, it's not about me. I'm not a special person. We just do this. So what they're really saying is they're saying, it's not about me. We just do the system well. You just do the system poorly. That still kind of makes it about them, doesn't it? It's like, we do the system well. If you did the system well, you'd be like me. So they still kind of make it about them, right? They're still judging you, whether they like it or not, by saying the reason we're successful, the reason we're this big thing is because we do it right and you do it wrong. Now, they don't say that, but that's what we imply by platforming these large exceptions to the rule. Now, the irony is many of these churches that have been platformed over years, many of these leaders of these large churches, they're getting old, these pastors, and they're trying to retire, and they're trying to actually hand over the ministry, and they can't even do it. We have very few successful models of these large churches where the pastor can hand over leadership to the next church because they have all these conferences about how you can you know, raise up leaders and share leadership and it's not about you and it's about team building. But the reality is it kind of is about them. It is that they are an amazing preacher and leader and it's just unique to them. And there's this unique miracle that occurred around that leader. And once that leader is gone, the church is really going to struggle. But they don't want to admit to that. And if you look and you research it, uh, many of these large churches are not transitioning well at all. We've got to stop platforming the giant pumpkins. We've got to stop creating these false expectations. We have to start talking about the church as it is. See, one of the problems with this idea is, let's look at the church as it is. I believe God loves the church as it is, and then he loves the church into reform. But one of the things we've done is, for the majority of the existence of the church, the church has always been like this. A normal-sized church has been 200 or less. And that's not a small church, that's a normal-sized church. To me, that language is offensive, and I know we use it, but even that shows you how twisted our culture has become, where I'll go visit a church, and I'll say, can you describe your church? And they'll say, well, we're a small church. And I'll say, you're not a small church, you're a normal-sized church. A church that's over 200 would be an abnormal church. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's different. It's a different church. But the way we've presented it, we've presented it this way, that if you are under 200, you have to do something to become what you're supposed to become. But the reality is 90% of churches are under 200. So what we're saying is that God is looking at 90% of the body, 90% of the church expressions and saying, ah, you're not what you should be. And I just believe that's wrong. I just don't believe God looks at 90% of the church and says, ah, nope, not, not what I plan, not what I want. Those 10% over there, those exceptions, that's what I want. I just, I can't imagine that that is how God views the church. But that's what we've created in this church 
growth culture. So we platform these exceptions and we don't validate the expressions that exist of the church of 60 or 70 or 80. You know, the reality of this, even of these growing past numbers, and you'll see this, like we need to grow past this next number. We need to grow past this next number. If you see many of these churches, some churches will grow to 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000, and then they'll maintain that 5,000 or that 2,000 or that 1,000. And then in that realm, they still have hundreds of people come and go. And so even their impact on the kingdom, they may have 1,000 people, but in one year, they may have 500 people that come and 500 people that go, 500 people they bless, 500 people they harm. So when you even think about kingdom impact, they may have great impact and great harm. So even the concept of somehow that they're doing a greater good to the kingdom, well, yeah, they stayed at 1,000 for 20 years, or they stayed at 5,000 for 30 years. And that 5,000 was great, but also that 5,000 they stayed at, they had thousands of people come through, and thousands of those people were blessed, and thousands of those people also were really upset and did damage to the kingdom. So I don't see how that's even a greater blessing than the hundreds of people who come to a smaller church, and hundreds did well, and hundreds did poorly. It's just different numbers, but the same percentages. But we somehow promote one as better and one as subpar. One of the problems with the church growth industry is we have yielded the authority of the church to experts, and we platform experts, and we platform uh, people who are you know, showing you the data and showing you the charts, but we're not platforming those who are actually running the churches. We, we, we platform data, we platform experts, but we don't actually platform pastors who are ministering the kingdom. We don't platform the guy who for you know 20 years has been faithfully pastoring a church of 80 people. And why don't we? Oh, because he's a failure, because she's a failure. You must be a failure. You mean you pastored 20 years and your church only grew to 70 people? What a failure. That's what our culture says. I'm going to hit at it right now. If you never platform someone who's pastored a church for 20 years or 30 years uh, and, and they've stayed at 70 because you think they're a failure, there's something wrong with your leadership. There's nothing more faithful than someone trying to pastor a church or 20 or 30 years where there's only 70 people there. You understand the trials of pastoring where there's only 70 people there? That means you're probably not going to be paid full time. That means financially you're barely going to make it for those 20 or 30 years, but you were so faithful to your calling and the kingdom of God that you never gave up. That, my friends, is one of the most faithful pastors I've ever met. That's someone of great integrity who's not doing it for money, fame, fortune, platform, but just doing it out of a sincere calling to be obedient to the kingdom of God. That's someone who decided just to love people to love them, who values 70 people or 80 people, just values them, understands that ministry is not about anything but just being obedient to the calling of Christ. Someone who understands that because they've embraced this calling, they will never receive fame, accolades, or even any position of authority. They know they'll never get a position in their denomination. They know they'll never get any kind of praise. They'll never get a conference speaking engagement. They'll never get anything, but they'll get a well done from their Father in heaven. Can you imagine how much the church would grow if we started platforming pastors like that? 
Because the reality is we don't need larger churches. We just need more leaders willing to pastor churches. Because if we said that is one of the most noble things you could do, we'd have hundreds and hundreds of more leaders saying, well, I can do that. I'll pastor. I don't know if I can do this mega CEO thing, but maybe I can pastor and and try to bless 70 people or 80 people. And you say, well, well done. Do that. Well, maybe I can pastor 100 people. Well, maybe I can just be faithful. And we say that's all we've asked of you is to be faithful. Be faithful. Go into the harvest field and be faithful. But instead, the church growth movement has said success is growth and growth is success. And the more you grow, the more successful and faithful you've been. And so we platform these exceptions to the rule and it becomes this oppressive system. And people say, I can't do this. And every pastor I know has the story of pastors in their community being fired, being let go, being actually tossed aside because they didn't measure up to that church growth measurement. Remember a pastor being forced to leave his church a couple years before retirement because they weren't growing enough. You know, 200 wasn't enough for their church. They brought in a young guy to help them grow. And guess what? They didn't grow. It's the same size. But his faithfulness wasn't enough to allow him to stay two more years. Because that's what this church growth thing does in its entirety. It loses the fact that it's about the integrity of the leaders, not some, you know, analytics, some measurement of, well, you know, we're a successful church. We're truly doing the work of the kingdom if we get 20 more people in here. The reality is, in its entirety, it's not working. We're not seeing growth in America, in the church. We're seeing transferred growth. We're seeing smaller churches struggle as they try to compete with larger churches. We don't want to talk about this, but one of the things the church growth movement has done is create greater expectations of all churches. So larger churches do more stuff. Smaller churches have to do more stuff in order to compete with the larger churches. People from the smaller churches leave those churches to go to the larger churches. And don't say I'm exaggerating this. Any pastor of a smaller church knows this. I've had countless interactions with people who say, you know, we love this church, but we need more for our children. So guess where they go? Not to the smaller church, to the larger church. And if I'm going to prepare more for their children, that means I'll have to wear out all my volunteer workers who aren't paid. Or they can go to the larger church where there's the paid staff and the paid youth leader and the paid worship leader and the paid this and the paid that. The church growth movement has created people who have more expectations of the church than ever before. And so I see church plants just wear themselves out as they start churches trying to do everything and be everything, but they can't be everything. Greater expectations. I mean, there used to be a time in churches, like for many years throughout American history, where you were in a town, there was maybe three churches. You went to the church Sunday morning, maybe you had a potluck. You bought a grave plot next to the church, and you just went to that church the rest of your life. And your kids went there, and you died. You buried yourself there. You had your weddings, and you went on. The pastor might be exciting. The pastor might be boring. The pastor might leave town because he hated that small town. But you invested in the church. You grew in the Lord, and you lived a good life. But now we have greater expectations than ever before. So in fact, we haven't really grown the church. We've just grown the expectations of disgruntled Christians. So we have Christians with greater expectations. And frankly, look on Twitter, look on social media, look on Facebook. We have Christians who've left the church who are just as disgruntled as ever, who want more from, than ever from the church, and the church still isn't good enough as it is. 
We have experts that we platform. And if you look at the experts, if you follow their track record, they just change every five or six or seven or eight years. They just kind of go back and forth and write the book and you pl platform them again. Barner comes out with his latest statistics and, and then, you know, now it's about, it's about home groups and it's about small church and it's about, and it changes and it shifts and it moves and whatever, whatever can be conference, whatever book can be sold. But the reality is the church is not growing. I'm throwing things out here rapid fire, but I'm also doing it because I think there's some pastors that at some level you're like, Doug, I, I need someone to articulate some of this because I'm not trying to be disgruntled, but I'm frustrated. If you go to your denominational meetings and they sit up there and they tell you how the denomination is declining and they tell you what you're doing wrong and saying, you need to do this, you need to plant more churches, you need to do this with your discipleship pathway, you need to do this with your leadership development and and here's the experts who are going to assess what you do here and what you do there. And the weight and the expectations are greater and greater and greater. There's got to be a better way. In my opinion, we have to stop and just say, you know what? Instead of just holding on to all these things that aren't working, there has to come a time where maybe we just bury this thing. Maybe we just stop and bury this thing. Say, you know, the basic foundations of what we're doing here aren't working. It's not working. It's not helping the church grow. It's not helping leaders. You know, there's less pastors going into the ministry than ever before. People don't want to pastor because there's greater expectations on the pastor than ever before. Greater expectations. There's certainly in our culture not much respect for pastors anymore, so you don't get that. But you get lots of expectations. It's just not working. In my opinion, we have to let this thing die. This church growth movement assessment, even assessment culture. It's like, well, we need to assess things. This is what I've found. High assessment churches lead to people who are very not very sensitive to anyone's feelings. We'll just turn it into a business. We'll be like Starbucks. We'll assess everything. The church isn't Starbucks. The church is a relationship. We're just grasping at things. We'll, we'll be like Starbucks. We'll be like corporations. We'll be like, we'll be like, hey, what will we be like? Let's be like something other than the world. Let's figure out what the Bible says about the church and be that regardless of what happens to the world. And let's just admit that even if Doug's wrong here, whatever the experts are saying, it isn't right either. It's not working. But what do we do? We still trade this off. We say, well, Doug, you know, what do you know? You just got a small church. I, you know, when, when push comes to shove, I'm at least going to bring in the mega church, whatever, because the guy's got a big church. Well, here's the thing. I've, I've interviewed hundreds of pastors. I've been in settings of large churches and smaller churches. Here's the secret. You know, the pastors of larger churches, here's the thing. There's no difference in their moral character than the pastors of smaller churches, none. Some of them are nice. Some of them are jerks. They're just none. So the concept, I've heard pastors of smaller churches say this. Well, you know, for me to break the barrier, I just have to work on my character because God will only give you what you can handle. And that's just such garbage. That's just such garbage. I've met pastors of mega churches who have terrible moral fortitude, terrible ethics. They are immature in every way. And I've met others who are wonderful, godly men. But we will platform men, and I'll say men mainly with this, of megachurches, who have terrible moral fortitude. And we will let them speak at conference after conference and denominational setting after denominational setting who have terrible ethical and moral fortitude. Because, well, you know, at least they're growing. And that is not Christ-like. 
It's not growing the church. There's nothing in that that's benefiting the kingdom of God. So for me, I think it needs to die. This thing needs to die. Maybe just take a year to say, we don't know what we're doing. Let's shut all the conferences down. Let's shut out the, the platforming of this is what you should do. And this is what, let's just shut it down. Get on our faces and just say, repent and say, we don't know. We don't know. People often ask me for my denomination. They'll say, well, when you go, we twice a year, we have two denominational things. We have a, a local conference and we have a national conference. And they say, why do I go? Well, I go because it's my denomination. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the national one and the local one. But I don't go because some name is there. I'll go with whoever. So you know what I would love to see? I'd love to see a bunch of no names be platformed at both of these. Because the big name people I hear all the time, I've heard their stuff. It echoes as a hollow refrain. I've heard it over and over again. But I'd love to hear someone who for 30 years has been faithfully ministering the kingdom of God without any praise from anyone. And it's not just because they lived in the middle of nowhere. I'd love to hear about the faithful man or woman who's faithfully pastored a church in a large city and their church is small or normal sized, but they've been faithful because faithfulness is faithfulness and we need more leaders. And we're not going to get more leaders by platforming the exceptions to the rule. Here's some advice that I would give to grow the church. If we're going to grow the church, we got to recruit people. We need more leaders, not more expectations of what the church can be. And if we're going to recruit people, that means we need to open the doors that the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. That means we have to come to people and say, what, what vision has God given you? And we believe in you. And we're going to, hey, how do you want to you know, foster the church? What's in your heart? And, and what does that look like? And then just talk to them about expectations. Just talk to them like, what do you want to do? Is it a small group? Is it a, do, you, do you want to go out in the woods and have a gathering? I don't care what it is. Just talk about expectations. Well, if you do that, there's probably a chance the church won't grow very much. It'll probably be bivocational. Here's the financial stresses. Just talk about expectations, but praise them and say, that's wonderful. That's what we want. That's a church. That's great. Say, we'll bless you and, and love you and praise you and thank you if it lasts for two years or 20 years. We need to recruit people, and you don't recruit people by platforming these, these tiny models of what it means to be the kingdom of God. We need to shut things down, like have conferences and denominational settings where just bring people who aren't pastors and just open the door. What's God put on your heart? And we're going to find a way to release you to do that. And then let's talk about the expectations. Manage expectations. There, we also need to talk about the fact that things are valuable in the doing, that we're not pastoring in order to have some payoff of two services or to plant more churches or to do something great down the road, that the moment you start doing the work of the kingdom, it has value, and we appreciate that, that you're not worthy because of some payoff. You're worthy because God made you worthy, and out of that worthiness, you begin to minister the kingdom of God. And you may do ministry that people accept, or you may do ministry that people reject. And there's people listening right now where God has called you to minister to a place where people have rejected the integrity of your ministry. And God right now is not looking down at you with scorn and derision, but he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. 
There's value in what you're doing. Your ministry has value, not value in that you keep the doors open for another three years, not value in that you start a second service, not value in that you break past the 100 mark or the 200 mark or the 300 mark. Your ministry has value in the doing. And we must stand against any measurement that says you only have value if you break past the 200 barrier or the 300 barrier or you plan another church or you do some other church growth measurement to show your value. That stuff is harming people. It's harming their understanding of their calling. It's doing damage to them. It's becoming an idol that they measure their existence by. We need to free people to understand their ministry has value in the doing. We need to free people to be creative. To free people to be creative, that means we need to platform creativity. To platform people who do it differently. Not just to be different for different sake, but to say there are more ways to advance the kingdom of God. There's more ways to be a pastor. And if we're truly going to engage the harvest field, then we're going to need to release women to fully be what they've been called to be, is ministers of the kingdom of God. Because in the last days, the scripture says, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and the sons and daughters of the most holy king will say the words of the most holy king, that we will hear the prophetic words, the teaching, the preaching of God our Father, of Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit come through men and women. So we need to hear women teaching and preaching and leading We need to give them priority in our church planting. We need to give them priority in our pulpits. We need to give them priority in reaching those who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The church in America is declining. We can continue to do the same stuff. We can continue to platform the same people. Or maybe we can do something different. That's my desire that we would do something different. I know I've said a lot of strong things here, and and if I've attacked an area that you're very passionate about, please give me some grace here, because I'm talking to some people who've been beat down. And I know that that couldn't possibly have been the goal for why you started your church growth ministry, to beat down pastors. But I believe that some of the stuff we're doing is actually keeping people from going into the harvest field. There are more pastors that would go into the harvest field if we just wiped that away and said, you know, it's just about the vision that God put on your heart. Share it with people. Be open. Be honest in community. Manage those expectations. Uh, Don't do it alone. Do it with a covering and care. And just be free and have value in the doing. And hopefully you can do it a long time. But even if you do it a couple years, that's good. It's getting more people out into the harvest field. We're not only keeping people from going into the harvest field, but we're shaming people who haven't done things the way those exceptions to the rule have done it. It's my opinion that we need to let a big a big expression of the church growth movement die. And we need a better kingdom to rise up in its place. We need to see what the Bible says about community about the church, to structure our expressions theologically around that, and then to be free. So sure, still large expressions, they'll still get to be there. There's nothing against that. I have nothing against those larger expressions. 
But those expressions in no way, in no way, in no remote way at all have any priority over any other expression of the kingdom. There's no way that that in any way could somehow be more worthy of platforming than a faithful man or woman who just gathers together a group of people and ministers the kingdom of God and opens her doors to say, hey, come in, and does that for one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years, with little recognition, little pay, little fame, just out of obedience to the kingdom of God. Here's the last word here. I know I went a little long today. I figured some people would turn me off quickly, so those who are with me are with me. Here's the last word. If you're listening right now and you feel called to be a church planter or to start a church, don't wait for someone else to send you out there. You've got to do this in faith. In faith, go and do it. I don't know if you'll succeed. Do it. Let there be value in the doing. Let God defend the worth of of your work. People might reject you or accept you. That doesn't matter. You want to stand before the Lord and say, I did it. God's going to say, well done. That's all that matters. Just do what God has put on your heart. Do it in love. Do it in grace. Do it in healthy community and do it boldly. The kingdom of God will advance through you and the gates of hell will not prevail. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, My book talks a little bit about the theology of the church. I'd love for you to pick it up. It's The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can find out more about it at my website, fairlyspiritual.org, or you can pick it up at Amazon. This music is by my brother Dan Bursch. You can get his music on iTunes. All right, make room for the Lord. I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot what you've called me to It is not possible Unattainable I will never see it through But you've spoken By your word Your Holy Spirit's leading me You are my only one You're the only one Worth living I'm